Hello, this is Rabbi Jeff Sachs of Atid with another installment in our Jewish Educators Book Club podcast. And today I'm talking with poetess Courtney Drews about her recent volume, The Light and the Light, a book-length, long poem about, well, it's about Jerusalem. It's the third uh, volume of her poetry, which she's published, uh, come out about once a year since she's joined us here in Israel. The previous volume is called The Ritual Word, a poem of Psalms, which is a very interesting type of uh, poetic, dare I say poetic midrash, uh, 150 short poems, uh, each one corresponding to one of the 150 chapters of Tehillim. And the volume before that, Complex Natural Processes, uh, by Courtney Drews. All of them, uh, I should just mention, are available on Amazon.com, and you can also get more information about them from her website, which is Courtney Drews, C O U R T N E Y D R U Z dot com. Tell us a little bit about your poetry and and your interest in poetry, and what drew you into it, and what you're trying to do with it. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. And, um, you know, I've, I've always been writing poetry, and it relates, of course, to the other interests in my life of Judaism and Torah, and, you know, it's all connected, of course, just from a personal level. Uh, and uh, I should also mention that you, that it's professionally, you, you're, you're a trained architect, you work in graphic design, uh, and this is uh, something that you do as a passion, uh, not, as a, not as one of the many professional poets walking around. To, uh, that's right, that's uh, all, right. All the many very professional poets earning their, earning their living off of their... Yes, I'm not earning, earning their, a living off poetry. of it. <laughs> this, this most uh, recent volume, uh, which again is, is a book-length book uh, long poem, uh, although I, I think when I started reading it, I hadn't necessarily realized that I, I think I thought that each of the sections was, was a separate poem, and then you realize that they're all really linked together. The title, The Light and the Light, is a, is a quote, is a reference, and I see in some of your other poetry also you reference the, the Romanian uh, Jewish uh, poet uh, Paul, I'm going to pronounce his name, Celan, C-E-L-A-N, although I think some people pronounce it Celan, um, who, who seems to have been obviously a, a big influence on, on you and your poetry. T- tell us a little bit about Chelan. Sure. Um, well, he was born in 1920 in Romania, and um, he survived the Shoah. He was in labor camps, and the rest of his family was murdered. Um, he ended up settling in Paris, where he had most of his... You know, he did. He did the rest of his writing there. In, in French. In German, in German. actually. Oh. Uh, he grew up in a German-speaking household, and that was really a major theme of his writing of reconciling his mother tongue of German with, um, you know, it having become an instrument of killing. Writing in the 1950s and, and, and writing 60s. And, and this, and that was really a, a central theme in all of his writing, and and he ended up unfortunately uh, taking his own life yeah. in 1970. Uh-huh. And what about his poetry uh, has left its imprint on you? Well, I wasn't familiar with him until, you know, very recently before embarking on these works. Um, I don't speak German, and I do read mainly English poetry. Even, even you know, Hebrew isn't a strong enough language for me to read and write poetry directly in Hebrew. So um, I... 
I wasn't familiar with him, and when I first started to read his work, I just felt this immediate strong recognition, you know, of, of his thinking and, and his writing in the way I also saw things. The, uh, the work itself, the poem itself, is again this kind of, uh, say, a riff on, on Chelan's poetry and, and the, the, the section titles and the other references, but it's also in some way, again, I'll, I'll put it in, in, these, in these air quotes, a form of midrash on Sefer Yecheskel. So tell us how that is and how it plays out before hope you'll, you'll read for us a piece. But uh, Sure. Uh, no, that's right. The this, this structure is very important in the poem, and I think maybe that's my architectural background, that I tend to see things uh -huh. structurally or maybe sculpturally. Right. And so the, the basic elements of the poem, the, the main part of the structure really is the Beit HaMikdash. And the poem is a kind of aliyah to Beit HaMikdash. Um, and the, the chapters move you through um, a structure which is the poem itself of, of stairs and gates and, and courts as though the poem is also a building and at the same time not exactly unified but the Beit HaMikdash is, is this building right. as well. Right. There's also um, the, the Jewish calendar that we're moving through in the months of the year as we go through the poem. In terms of Paul Salon, um, it's most related to his 1963 uh, book, uh, The No One's Rose. And so the chapter titles also refer to the poems from that book mm -hmm. and explore those themes in relation to these Jewish themes. Right. He, of course, was a Jewish poet, but not religious in any conventional way. Right. That you have a great description of the book where you say that it's or the poem it's meant to be a cross temporal hologram of the temple of the Beit Hamikdash, cast by rays from that particular poem by Chalan, which is the No One's Rose. The No One's Rose, Rose in English, and uh, and say for Yecheskel. Let me just say that again: <laughs> a cross temporal hologram of the temple cast by rays from Chalan's uh, The No One's Rose and Sefer Yechesko. So the idea of the book itself, which is obvious, I mean, it's a conventional uh, work of poetry. It's, uh, it's uh, black on white, lines of verse. Uh, but it, the idea that uh, reading the poem is a, a kind of hologram, hologram being this kind of uh, more than an image, something that lets you virtually enter a physical, a physical space, at least to, to some degree, and that through reading a poem, uh, the mind is led on a on a uh, voyage through through uh, through the Beit Hamikdash through the Beit Hamikdash. It reminds me, actually, in prose, not a poetry, of something that that Agnon did, that Shai Agnon did, uh, the Nobel laureate uh, Hebrew author Shai Agnon. is a, a work which is published posthumously called Lifnim Min Hachoma, Inside the Walls mm -hmm. of the Old City, written at a time uh, in the 1960s, in the early 1960s, late 1950s, when um, the old city was, of course, off limits to us mm -hmm. between the War of Independence and the Six Day War. But it's a kind of um, meditation in which there's a description of, uh, in, in, in near Kabbalistic terms, uh, of being led into the old city, mm -hmm. uh, which you know, which we can only enter virtually because at that time 
it was off limits uh, to us. So why, why don't you read for us a, a passage sure. uh, that somehow uh, captures something about uh, the voice of the poem or what is he trying to do? What, what page are you going to read from? Oh, this is on 73, and this is from the section called Courts, which takes place actually after we've made our way into the Kodesh and Kodeshim by proxy um, and are emerging again out of, out of the temple. And this is called the Blessing Court. Appearing suddenly at the top of steps and the closing door, you raise your hands for silence. Silences appear and radiate outward from behind the screen of your fingers. They carry the phrases of blessing. Under the silences, the people say, Amen. Before beginning the renovations, we'll have to take some measurements. Ground yourself on the upper step as you exit. Look out. Secure the tripods of your hands. We won't be picky about the orientation. The instrument of blessing is self-leveling. Now adjust the focus. Release the beam to its target. Measurement begins at the origin of the beam. The stone in the core of earth looks gray, but it emits a long light. The meters detect it. The stone is called the garment of light. The slipshod scaffolding of the tower that presses it does not hinder the radiation. Raise your fingers in the shape of the breaches to be repaired. The tower won't reach the light, but the light will reach it and take its measure. The light does not originate in the inner room, but it shines there brightly. Raise your fingers in the shape of branches lit through by the sun. When I see the moon, I'll remember the phenomenon. So again, that's, that's, what, that's one section of one of the she'arim, of one of the, one of the gates uh, of the work. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's the, the, your training as, a, as an architect, uh, you know, I think comes through, mm -hmm. comes through clearly. And it's, it's I think, uh, uh, you know, something of the power of the work, how the different, I guess, aspects of your personality, of your, your interests, of your professional life, you know, come together in the service of, of creating the of creating the poetry, but um, but you know poetry is something that uh, you know it's, it's uh, people have different attitudes towards poetry. They have different tastes in poetry. I think by and large, very many people have sadly very little interest in poetry. But uh, beyond your own your own work uh, as a poet, um, or whatever it is that you are trying to say to the community of people interested in. Jewish life, and or in Israel, or in Torah study, um, how do you see uh, the encounter with poetry in specific, or literature in general, as something that enhances the religious life? Or might many of our listeners, or people that are involved in Jewish education, how might it be used in the service of the larger goals of Jewish education? Well, I think that um, one of the maybe misconceptions that people who 
come to poetry without you know, having really felt a connection to it might have when they hear about poetry related to religion or to, to Torah is that what they're looking for is some sort of didactic poetry, um, you know, taking a verse and sort of re-encapsulating in a, in a maybe more aesthetic or interesting form a message. And I don't see it that way. Um, and I think it, it relates to maybe how we study Torah, I was thinking of the blessings we say every morning over studying the Torah Lishma. And you know, I'm not a scholar, I don't know the vast discussion over Lishma. There's certainly a lot about what that means, but it, it's interesting to connect it to the historical idea of art for art's sake. You know, Lishma being for its own sake, usually translation. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's a controversial idea, that's from a long time ago, um, and it comes in and out of vogue um, among different schools of poetry and art. And I think, you know, when you look at the blessings of the Torah and how they're followed immediately, strikingly, by passages that have to do with action in the world mm -hmm. and things that you need to do. And it's, it's to me, making a statement that um, Torah isn't, you know, something separate that you, you take and you can encapsulate it and say, here's what it means, but that it's a process and an action. And I think maybe that's what drew me to Salon's poetry, that he also, in his other writings, uh, I believe, had this view of um, poetry being sort of a living thing, and that, you know, by writing or reading a poem, you're really enacting a process which hopefully can be translated into your actual life. Mm -hmm. the, um, the, your earlier volume, The Ritual Word, which are the short poems each, I guess, resonating off the theme of the 150 chapters of, of Tehillim, how, do you have any conception of how that might be used, or you know, if it has been used in, in the actual study of Tehillim, how might, uh, you know, for whom might this book uh, be a valuable uh, you mentioned not didactic poetry, but, but right. a pedagogical resource for people that are actually studying, either adult studiers or in a school setting, in any sense of how that might be used? Right. Well, I think writing it was a pedagogical activity for myself. I mean, that was why, really, I focused on Tehillim because I wanted to study it. And to me, the way to learn something is really thinking, using poetry to think through mm -hmm. that. And, um, or is this... Um, the Light and the Light focuses it's sort of the next step in the world of action. And the ritual word is more about the world of, of prayer. And, um, you know, the question of how a prayer could be true. How, how could I say to Helim or other, you know, in a larger sense, all Jewish ritual standardized mm. prayer and truly be um, in the moment praying to God, um, you know, in my own way, isn't there a discrepancy? And so I go through Tehillim, and the process actually of translating Tehillim into English, looking at different translators and some of the things they wrote, and taking the translation of Tehillim into English as sort of a metaphor for the translation of our inner aspirations to ritualized prayer. Okay. How do you... How do you kind of assess the state of um, you know, the religious communities, 
involvement with, relationship to, as well as consumption of, but also production of, you know, artistic products, whether it's poetry or literature or art or music, uh, with a sense of where the community is standing now and where we might go or what we might accomplish or what we should accomplish. My sense is that what I'm looking for is more vibrant in Hebrew, but that my Hebrew is not good enough to be part of that um, poetic community. In English, um, what's striking to me is that there is a huge um, revival of all kinds of artistic endeavor t in the service of, of Judaism and of Torah, and certainly a lot of poetry. And yet, I think this, this misconception, to me it's a misconception of the need for didacticism is more prevalent in poetry because it's a verbal art. And I think people are able to see more clearly, especially if they're coming sort of as a layperson to art, that a painting can be abstract. I think that's something in our visual age that people are very comfortable with, the idea of, okay, I'm seeing colors, but I can get some sort of a spiritual process happening, or in music is, is a huge area right now. Whereas I think when uh, the majority of people who don't commonly read poetry come to poetry, I don't think their mind is as open in that direction, and they're looking for the words to mean what they might mean in a work of philosophy. Which and they, they also don't. want like very rigid structure, A, B, right. B, A, A, B, A, B. Even, sometimes, yes, but even when they're able to get away from, uh, you know, archaic types of formal poetry or traditional poetry, whatever, the English, kind of stuff we were raised it, on in yeah, a certain but I period think in, also in, in they're uncomfortable with um, statements that are not meant to be taken literally true or of process or of changing your mind because if you say something, um, what is that? Is that a lie? How did you change your mind later? Which, and they're not seeing it as a, a full um, sculpture almost. Which is so interesting because we're so, we are so accustomed to that mode of expression in the Midrashic vein, in mm -hmm. the Talmudic vein, exactly. in studying Gemara, right. that idea of entertaining a position which mm -hmm. we are then going to reject of a word never meaning just one that's thing, right. but always meaning multiple themes. That's the whole, that's the grease that, that moves the wheels of, of, of Midrash. Uh, but when it comes to transferring that mode of of engagement to other forms of uh, of expression, it, people get a little uh, put, put off. That's people, right. people must say to you, "Oh, your poems don't rhyme." Yeah, so. or or you know, your poems seem somehow. What, what, did, you, what did you just say? You right. know, how can you uh, call that uh, related to Torah? In in the current volume, the light and the light, uh, which is this kind of um, uh, an uh, imaginative hologram, mm -hmm. your word, uh, uh, journey through uh, Jerusalem. It, it's, I mean, it's not relevant to talk about a poem to ask, uh, or certain type of poetry, when is it set? As if you read a piece of straightforward fiction, uh -huh. you want to know when is this book set. The book, the, the book may have been written in the year 2012, but it's set in, 19, in 1960. Uh -huh. um, uh, you know, you can have a book that's written now, which is being narrated in 1960 about events in the 1920s. But uh, but a poem isn't fixed. Out. This this is kind of uh, you know temporal uh, uh, fluidity, where well we're we're talking about current events, and Jerusalem is always in. 
current events. The Temple Mount is always in current events, but it's also in the time of the Mikdash. So say a word about what you're trying to do there with this kind of, uh, is that the right term, I guess? The, uh, yeah. The temporal I, shifting. Definitely, definitely. Like, I mean, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, it's from Star Trek, but you know, I mean, that's from the Nevi'im. I think that's yeah. their, their mode of seeing. And it struck me actually this morning, um, just so clearly driving, coming on the bus here, you know, I'm riding on this bus and I look out and there goes the Dome of the Rock. I see that below, a whole vision right above, just like Yefezko, I'm looking down on the Temple Mount. You know, I switch to the light rail, I'm going past the different gates of the old city. And I think um, living in Israel, in the land of Israel, in our time, you can really see that's why prophecy comes from Israel. Because it's Yefezko's um, idea of the of you know the um, bones coming together, it's like you see the whole skeleton of history right here as you walk around your daily life in Jerusalem, and it's this question of you know breathing this spirit of animation into it that is coming from Hashem. But what's our part in envisioning that, and what's our part in you know looking at history the way that? Cheskel does, and really seeing everything all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the place is a, a way to combine all these different place, times of history in one place that's going to have a future. Yeah. You put a, a pin through it, and you cut through all the layers of history and meaning. And, uh, uh, before, we, before we wrap it up, I'll just tell our listeners, I, I, it may sound like there's uh, construction noises in the background. That's a special effect that we added <laughs> into the recording so that you should hear the building and rebuilding of Jerusalem as a kind of a soundtrack to this discussion <laughs> about this particular poem, The Light and the Light by Courtney Drews. Is there anything else we might need to know about your, yourself, about your work, about what are you working on next? <laughs> well, 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 we'll be looking for it. Uh, again, the, the three volumes are... Uh, Complex Natural Processes, The Ritual Word, a book of Psalms, which I, I really would strongly recommend to anybody that's studying Tehillim or is, is tasked with the challenging uh, job of teaching Tehillim, and most recently, The Light and the Light, which is the, the, um, the cross-temporal hologram of uh, journey back to the Beit HaMikdash, uh, all of which are available on Amazon.com or at Courtney Drews, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-D-R-U-Z dot com. Thank you very much.